authenticity has always been really important to me and recognizing that the messages that I send to the world are often received by what I do or don't do, what I say yes to, what I say no to. And um, I had to get more in touch with what a yes felt like in my body and what a no felt like in my body. And I had to get more realistic and sort of undo this identity that I had around being the one who could just do it all. Give it to Renee, she'll take it, right? Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hey guys, welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. Before we delve into today's episode, I want you all to save the date for our January 2024 14-day functional medicine liver detox. We are so excited about the 14-day detox. People for the last two years have loved the program. It's a great way to start off your January. You will learn so much in those two weeks. You'll boost your immunity. You'll reduce your toxic load, reduce bloating, increase your energy, improve digestion, and you will have this fantastic community surrounding you throughout the entire time. So the detox kicks off on January 7th, and we just want you to plan ahead and save the date. And the link is in the show notes now, and we'll have more details in the coming weeks. We would love for you to sign up for our health transformation audit which is a really fun opportunity to come on our show for a 15-minute experience where we guide you to identify what's holding you back from your ideal health and wellness, and we'll analyze with you so you can walk away with a tangible action step. This is a really fun episode. It's first name basis only. The link to sign up is in our show notes, and we invite you to come on our show and chat with us. And now we are thrilled to bring you Renee Deneen. Renee is an international thought leader playing at the intersection of business, leadership, psychology, and well-being. Prior to launching her own coaching and consulting practice, Renee spent over 20 years in international senior leadership roles in the high-tech and biotech industries, including five years working and living overseas in Switzerland. Renee has spoken all over the world, and recently she took her own story to the TEDx stage. Her talk titled Authentic in Action, Undoing the Doing in a Do-Crazy World is an account of her own trials and tribulations as a doing addict and workaholic. Her talk has reached over 600,000 views and supports her mission to revolutionize the way we work, play, and relate to one another and our purpose. We had a terrific conversation with Renee on how to break our addiction to doing, which is a topic I think we could all use some advice on since we're living in such a doing, doing, doing society. 
We discussed how when you are constantly doing, you lose your ability to calm down. Many people often say that stillness can make them uncomfortable. We talk about how this can be an addiction and how it can really keep us from connecting with our most authentic selves and experiencing true joy. Renee really offers some valuable insight. She talks about being in choice and, you know, you making the decision to say yes or to say no coming from your own heart. I know Renee has personally changed her own life based on her own personal experience in this area, which she talks about on the show. And she also offers some amazing retreats that we'll put the link in the show notes. And she also talks a little bit about that. So let's welcome Renee and have this terrific conversation. Let's face it, after a night with a couple of drinks, I don't bounce back the next day like I used to. And as a busy mom, I have to make a choice. I can either enjoy a couple of glasses of wine with dinner or a great next day. That is until I found Zbiotics. Zbiotics is a pre-alcohol probiotic and the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it most. The first time I tried Zbiotics was at a wine tasting event and I had scheduled this early morning yoga class the next day. So as instructed, I drank my bottle of Zbiotics before consuming any alcohol and was honestly amazed at how good I felt the next day. This class ended up being much more intense and longer than I thought, yet I somehow got through it feeling stronger and more energized than I typically would after drinking any alcohol. I now regularly take Zbiotics anytime that I'm planning to have a couple of drinks so that I can wake up the next day with a clear head and the energy I need to tackle my day. Of course, it's important to drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best the next day. So head on over to zbiotics.com AOLW to get 15% off your first order when you use the code AOLW at checkout. You can also sign up for a subscription using our code so that you can stay prepared no matter the time or occasion. Think about your upcoming social calendar, including birthdays, holidays, and other celebrations when you may want to enjoy a couple of cocktails without having it ruin how you feel the next day. And Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason at all, they will refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash A-O-L-W, that's Z-B-I-O-T-I-C-S, and use the code A-O-L-W at checkout for 15% off. Hi, Renee. Marnie and I are really excited to have you on our show today, and we want to thank our good friend, Jen Gilhoy, who connected us, and we knew immediately after listening to your TEDx talk that we had to have you come on our show to share with our listeners I mean, how stress and our culture's obsession with doing can have an impact on our happiness and our ability to do what matters most in our heart. And I will just say personally, when we initially connected, your work really resonated with me because I'd actually just made a decision to take a pause and learn how to do nothing and rest from mm -hmm. my personal health coaching business, which I've enjoyed for the last couple of months, just taking a break from that. It was a really hard decision for me. So I can't wait to have you on. Oh, well, thank you. And congratulations on that decision. It's not an easy one, but you know when it's right. Exactly. 
So before we dive into this interview, one question we love to ask all of our guests is, what's your one non-negotiable to start each day? Hmm. Um, I, I like what I have learned through my own journey of undoing my own crazy doing life is to be in choice. So really a non-negotiable is that um, I have choices in my day and I have people in my life who will honor those choices. Um, so that's sort of on the highest level. And, and another non-negotiable is that I can be fully present wherever I am. Um, and that's really been a muscle that I had not exercised most of my life. Um, that was just kind of in my last like six, seven years of my own journey. So that would be another one. Beautiful. I, I, yeah. I love the choice thing. I hear people say all the time, oh, but I don't have a choice. And I'm like, well, actually you do. Yeah, <laughs> you may not want to make the choice, choice, but you do have the choice. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we would love to hear about your journey in a nutshell of how you came from this senior leadership role to starting your own coaching business. And I know you had a very highly viewed, successful TEDx talk. And can you just talk about all of that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I was raised by a very busy working mother. So this idea of um, being busy, working outside the home, um, having your identity very closely anchored by what you do uh, was really well modeled. Um, and my parents loved their careers, so I, it wasn't all bad. Um, and so when I started my own career right after grad school, um, I was in the Silicon Valley in the 90s, um, uh, not a, um, a slow place to grow up mm -hmm. professionally, um, lots of opportunities, lots of things to say yes to. Um, and so I just got myself in that rhythm. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I had no choice. Um, I, I do think I used to believe how lucky am I that I have no boundary between work and my personal life, right? I love what I do so much um, that it's just all part of who I am and I'm in, you know, full choice around it, although I didn't have that language. Um, and I kept at that for a good two decades. And, and if I'm being honest, I was always a doer. Um, I was always busy. Stillness was not something that I sought after in the least. In fact, it made me super uncomfortable just to be still, to be bored. Uh, boredom was like a bad taste in my mouth from a very young age. So a couple decades into my career, I started to, and I was a working mother. My kids at that time were, gosh, I don't know, five, six, and, you know, eight, nine, that kind of age. And um, I developed a stutter and a tremor. And my doctor thought I had MS. And by the way, I had heeded no warning signs up until then. Um, there were a ton of other warning signs that I ignored, but obviously that one was significant enough to pay attention to and uh, got an MRI. And thankfully, I didn't have MS, but basically I'd done that to myself. My nervous system, my adrenal system was so overworked, hyperactive. I had lost, completely lost my ability to calm myself down, to really be in true choice. Um, saying no, in addition to it feeling like I would be missing out on something, um, you know, gave me a stomach ache. I mean, I, you know, it was like a physical aversion um, to the word no. And so I just, you know, it became known as the one who could just do it all and hold it all together until I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I had to really back up and look at how I wanted to live the second half of my life. And in particular, how, how, what I wanted to model to my children and, you know, wanted what I wanted to be remembered for as a mother. And 
So I, 2015, left my corporate life, an identity that had been served me well. I was in very executive roles, making a lot of money, and um, I walked away. Um, and my uh, talk about kind of non-negotiables. I left to say, you know, I really want to be living in my purpose. I want to be focused on doing work um, with human beings that are that nourish me as well as I nourish them. And I wanted to work 20 hours a week. That was just a hard stop for me. And uh, that's been questioned a lot by different podcasts. Why the 20 hours? Um, for me, my time was my my sacrifice. And so that just became a way that I could really ensure that I was sticking with my desire to really break my addiction to doing and to stay in recovery. So, and that served me well. Of course, it flexes depending on the week, but in general, that's how I keep myself in check. <laughs> well, one, just congratulations on taking that break and, you know, pivoting and doing something that really fills you up and that you have like control over the choices that you're making. And I, you know, I just know coming from the corporate background, I know how hard it is to say you only want to work 20 hours a week or to not yeah. kind of meddle your personal life with your professional life. Um, and we just, we need more people like you out there and especially women <laughs> too, because I think a lot of women and working moms struggle with this. So um, yeah. so you, 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 you mentioned something about like staying in recovery and which is interesting to talk about, you know, recovery from being a workaholic versus some sort of like chemical mm -hmm. dependency. So can you explain like, what is an addiction junkie and, <laughs> you know, how does that really like impede us from connecting with our most authentic selves and experiencing more joy? Yeah. And and when you're talking about an addiction junkie, you're talking are you talking about all addictions, Stephanie? Or are you talking about the doing addiction? Well, the doing addiction. I think we've taught when we could talk about and we yeah, have on this podcast the more yeah. physical <laughs> Right, right, right. Because there's about. a lot of a lot yeah. of addictions out there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that clarification. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So um on my TED talk, I named doing as an addiction. And I share my story about how I found my way out of that addiction. But and just to be very um, intentional, I I was really sense I was very sensitive about using that term addiction because um, because of its broad application and the suffering that it causes in all shapes and forms. And as I studied what it means to be addicted, it, it means um, my doing life had me. I didn't have it. It was taking a toll on myself and everyone around me. I, for a majority of my life, literally, it, it was a visceral pull, like what's next, not just what's the next goal or achievement, but like I literally created a life around me where I had no white space. Um, other than um, when we moved to Europe for five years, I think that was probably a good precursor to me being able to really see myself more more authentically and truly, uh, you know, accepting how I was living my life. But um, when we were on holiday, um, but up until living in Europe, probably a good two to three years, I couldn't even relax on holiday. I mean, I just, I, I never separated my working life from my personal life. So um, so that would be one reason why I chose to name it because it really had a hold on me and it was detrimental to my health and well-being um, and also the health and well-being of, of particularly my family. Um, so 
the other element I would say is that, as I mentioned earlier, I was not in choice. I completely had lost my ability to choose for myself and people got very used to that. Um, And so when I even thought of saying no, I really had this feeling that I was letting people down. And so it was really anchored in my identity about who I was and why I was here and really what I, in a way, what, what I felt like I owed to people. I had a lot of narratives and story around that. So I also had to rewire my brain and that took several years. Um, so I, when I say recovery, I mean, it's always there. Yeah. It, this, yeah. this propensity to want to do the next thing, go the next place. And so I, I have to keep it at bay with very practical uh, strategies, practices. Well, and it makes me wonder, like I, I'm definitely fall in more of the doer category, although I feel like I've worked very hard to try and create balance in my life. There's so many things that I find exciting and like, I'm just (laughs) want to do it all because it's fun and I'm loving it and whatever. How do you determine, you know, you said you work 20 hours a week. I wouldn't say I'm a doer only for work. Like I like to do, you know, travel and sports and friends, like I just, everything, right? I like to fill up with a lot of different things. So how do you determine how to spend the 20 hours that you're working? Because I'm assuming you're the kind of person that probably also is engaged in a lot of different things. And then, you know, part of this is about the art of not doing, right? Like, how do you, how do you figure that out? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I, I, <laughs> I love that question. How do you figure it out? Because I do think it's unique to every person. Um, one distinction that I really embodied is the difference between being and doing. And, and I'll also say like authenticity has always been really important to me. And recognizing that the messages that I send to the world are often received by what I do or don't do, what I say yes to, what I say no to. And um, I had to get more in touch with what a yes felt like in my body and what a no felt like in my body. And I had to get more realistic and sort of undo this identity that I had around being the one who could just do it all. Give it to Renee. She'll take it. Right. I I couldn't even sit quiet in a conference room. If someone said, Hey, this is coming up. Would anyone like to do it? And my heart, my hand, right. Would just like (laughs) maybe wait about five seconds. Um, And so I also realized like, wow, every time I say yes and don't make space for someone else or don't even acknowledge that someone else could probably do it better or is more passionate about it, you know, also take something away from them. Um, And, you know, what I care deeply about is being in service and being, you know, living on purpose. And I do feel like I have a calling Um, and I wasn't necessarily authentic in that. Um, And so that helped me really like almost build a cause around it for myself that had greater meaning and greater purpose than, you know, how that had shown up for me in the past. So I think I had to find my own recipe, um, my own balance, my own sense of balance. And how do I know a yes and a no? You know, I know it pretty quickly now. If someone makes an invitation, because you're right, some people would still say, Renee, you're still really busy. You were just in Europe six weeks and then you came back and then you did this and then you came back and then you did your retreat. And then, and I said, yeah, those are all yeses. It's very different. I'm I'm not going to say I'm not a busy person. I am, but I'm not addicted to busy. And the biggest distinction I've made in the last kind of five years is um, knowing that my yeses are truly yeses. And honoring that my no's are truly no's and that 
the universe and people will accept those no's because I'm clear on why it's a no. Um, yeah. Just it's it's a no right now, or it's a no because I I honestly don't have enough time and energy to give it my best. Um, it's a no because I think someone else could be better doing it. Um, or it's a no because I'm just frankly too tired and I need time to rest. Or it's a no because I want to, I'd rather spend time with my family or this person instead of doing that. Um, so those are all ways that I've reconciled the no um, in my identity. And, um, and honestly, people have shown up and appreciating it and respecting that and modeling that for other women has been one of my greatest just honors to witness. Yeah. And it seems like it goes back to your non-negotiable about being in choice. So yeah. you may have a full <clears throat> life and on the outside appear busy, but those are your choices and you're making those like authentically. Mm -hmm. And I know you mentioned like authenticity is something, you know, that's really important to you. And in the TEDx talk, you talked about authentic inaction. Yeah. What is that? Can you explain that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, I love that you brought that up. Yeah, so the title of my talk is Authentic in Action, Undoing the Doing in a Do-Crazy World. The world will not undo it for you. Let, I, whoever is listening, if you're waiting for your company or your friends who love you dearly, by the way, this isn't about not caring for your health and well-being, um, but they get used to you and they, you know, it, so it's it's really part of deciding what you want to be known for and getting very attuned to what those yeses and nos feels like in your body. And so the goal is not to take, not take action. Like I'm not saying just sit there and do nothing and the world will show up for you, but it's moving from inauthentic action to authentic action. And the step in between is authentic inaction. Where we just create enough distance between the opportunity and the choice to be in choice around it. And that could be a few seconds. Like, you know, let me think about that. Yeah, that feels good. I would love to do that. Or it may be more time. Um, days, weeks, months, sometimes you're, you're making a big decision and, and you really want to be in choice around that decision. You want to understand how it's going to integrate with the rest of your life. You know, some, sometimes that takes longer. So I call that space, you know, authentic inaction where I am coming into contact with my choices around that decision or action or opportunity. And what does that look like for someone? You yeah. Know, like how do you get to that place where you're making a choice that you generally feel good about that it feels like you're being true to yourself and what you're what you want? Yeah, I mean, gosh, you know, we make choices every day all day long. Um, what time do I want to get up? <laughs> what do I want to make for dinner? Um, you know, those are kind of day-to-day -day choices. So, and those are important. They sh they shape our lives as well. But I'm talking about those those things that say like when I say learning to say no so you can say hell yes is understanding first, like, where are you in your busyness? Like how much space and time do you have um, in this moment or in this season of your life to take on some other big yeses? And so um, getting clear and being diligent and intentional about aligning what you do with who you are. And that doesn't, isn't like something that just you wake up and go, how can I best align who I am with, you know, what I do with who I am today? Um, it's a bigger question to sit with. And, um, and at different times in my life, like when you're first starting work and you're just learning how to be uh, um, uh, committed and or obligated, right, to something other than yourself, um, whether that be because I'm getting paid or because I said I would, whatever that looks like. So in different phases of my life, it's looked different. But let me land on where it looks like for me today is um, because I've created more space 
in my life because I've learned how to be still because I have looked at myself in the mirror and said, you know, you are doing addict. You have an addiction to busy and it's taking a physical and emotional toll on your life. Um, once I, I admitted that, um, then I could see what other choices, um, I had in front of me and I could just, I, I can't explain it except like, oh my gosh, right. This like looking at all the choices I have and just coming into contact, being conscious in my yeses and in my nos. Um, but really getting clear too, at this point in my life, what brings me meaning, what aligns with, with my truest calling and purpose and how does that integrate into my life today? You know, I, I kind of like ask those questions all the time. So this year, um, I finally said yes to getting my book going. And I hired a book coach and took some authentic action. Um, I didn't want to write alone. I knew that. Um, so I made some choices around that. I, I reached out to a woman that I really respect in this space to kind of help me take my words and sort of like create a skeleton with me. Um, you know, this idea, like, I don't have to do this by myself. Um, there's no honor in that. I don't have to suffer through this. Um, and then giving myself a full year, you know, those were authentic actions that I took and sort of parameters I put around this goal. So that, by the way, while I'm writing this book, I can also still work, make a living, um, be available to my um, mother-daughter work and my women's work, um, and just be a good wife and a present parent. Wow. Sounds like you've come a long way. <laughs> yes. I, like, I mean, I, I'm wondering, like, when, I, when I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about, okay, so my son just graduated college and is launching, right? He's going to go into this world of consult business consulting. I think it's going to be a lot of really long hours and hard work when he starts. And I'm wondering, as you look back, like, what advice would you give to a young person starting out in their career so that they don't, you know, I think sometimes the, the culture that we live in, it's expected that, especially in the United States, that you work your butt off, especially when you're young and you're starting out and you're <laughs> saying yes to everything and you're, you know, almost running yourself into the ground. But that's not really how we want to teach our children to start out their lives, right? Even if they have a high power job, like what, what advice would you give to a young person starting out in the world to maintain that balance, but still do an awesome job in their role? Yeah. I mean, I love, I love that question because <clears throat> that is the rub. Um, and there are some jobs that require more from us. There just are. And so his first decision to choose business consulting um, knowing that I was in that space and in some degree still am and I, or I worked with the big, you know, McKinsey's and BCG's on large scale transformations that I was leading internally. Um, there are roles and jobs and, and careers that are going to ask more of you. And, um, and so are you in choice around that? You know, if that's where he's going, is he choosing that? Because probably the biggest risk is that he gets in and wants that context to accommodate him right? I want to do this, but I only want to do it 40 hours. Now there may be in, in the way we're moving in the world, some consultancies that honor that, right? Like um, you'll be gone four days, but the three days you're off, you're off. We honor that. We don't want you online. We don't, but that they're not going to, um, you're going to have to ask those questions and, and decide if this is a place that's going to serve the whole of your life. Um, and if you choose it, choose it wholeheartedly. And then what other boundaries can you keep? Um, what other ways can your son going into that business 
um, honor space to maybe have a relationship or to stay physically active or to nourish a few friendships in his life that have nothing to do with work. Um, so what are the other point parts of your life that are important to you? Um, I was really lucky. I had a, my first boss was my best boss at lucky or unlucky. She set the bar really high. She said to me as a young 23, 24 year old, you know, Renee, you can have it all just not at the same time. And of course my, my little 23, 24 ambitious self said, what? Yes, I can. Right. Like, I'm like okay, boss. So of course she was a working mother as well, a wife and other things. And she'd learned that lesson or the really hard way. Um, and what I realized as I came into my own around that and it always stuck with me. So I always knew it was going to be one of those shaping, um, you know, kind of bullseye transactions that someone says to you that helps shape your life. Um, she was hundred percent right. And, and frankly, I don't want it all at the same time because I really can't enjoy and savor um, my choices and what meaning those choices bring to me and what impact I'm having when I'm chasing all the other things at the same speed with the same intensity. Um, and, I, you know, one of the ways, I mean, I'm, I've been so blessed to have, to be able to do work in the world that is absolutely meaningful from a human connection and a human impact. Um, but I, I started to lose even like joy and like seeing those impacts and I just, I, they lost their meaning to me. Um, and so, you know, that would be the moment when you're not in choice that you need to come back into choice, <clears throat> but early on, just be in choice around whatever you decide to say yes to. And when it doesn't work for you anymore, be aware of that and make different choices. And you can always ask, you can always ask a boss, an organization, is this something that you'd be willing to look at? This is working for me. This isn't <clears throat> or <clears throat> bringing awareness around what's affecting the health and well-being of the people around you and being brave enough to bring that up. And if they say, no, we can't, then you're in another choice point. Okay. Is this a place I can stay? So it's not easy. It's not for the faint at heart, but um, that would be some advice I would offer uh, to people choosing a career that is going to ask a lot of you and particularly of your time. I think that's really good advice, actually, for anybody. I mean, not mm -hmm. just in any job or role or whatever, any stage. Yeah. Well, Even it in a sounds marriage. like, yeah, yes. right. Yeah. yeah. Personal yeah. situations, friendships, yeah. because that can, you know, there's a lot of like toxic relationships that people have that are mm -hmm. draining them. And it seems like that's like being in choice, which sounds so kind of simple, like, oh, just be in choice. Right. But that's what can help people become action junkies and also help sort of recovering action junkies, which is what you talk about in your talk and kind of perfect the art of inaction. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Perfect the art of inaction and recognizing that what you, again, I, I think I mentioned this already, but what you say yes to and what you say no to communicates to the world most, most vividly who you are. Mm-hmm. And so if you think that the universe isn't listening, you know, and when you get really clear, I always talk about, we can almost always be intentional. And when you get clear, the universe shows up. And when you're all muddied in your waters and like, what's that um, Alice in Wonderland? If you don't know where you're going, dear, any road will do. Um, don't live like that. Don't live like that. Like, God, here's where I'm going. Here's what's important to me. Here's what lights me up. Here's what brings me meaning. Here's what I see as impact and stay in those questions and then watch, try to watch with some level of objectivity, how those answers are unfolding. Um, and, you know, it's a lot to ask of a young, a young person. Um, but I think you two are conscious women. My guess is you've raised your children uh, more to be in choice than maybe most feel like. 
because you're living consciously. And by the way, you're doing what has meaning for you. And that is also telling your family system, your friends, who you are uh, by what you spend time in, what you invest in, what words you choose to share about your experiences. So the more we can model that for others, the bigger ripple effect that will have. And I definitely see that in my own life. Marty and I are thrilled to share two new products that we've both been using daily for several months and are loving the results. Do you need better nutrition, improved energy or focus, but don't know how? Well, Energy Bit Spirulina Algae Tablets are your answer. They are effortless to take and organically grown. These bits of food are 100% spirulina, which is the most nutrient-dense, antioxidant-rich, high-protein food in the world. You just swallow or chew a few tablets each morning or whenever you are tired or hungry to improve your mitochondria, your energy, your gut health, focus, and reduce your hunger and cravings. They also replace the need for your caffeine. Energy bits are safe for the entire family and pets love them too. Maybe you want to improve your gut health, support your detoxification, or add more green nutrition into your diet. Recovery Bits Chlorella tablets are the perfect solution. Recovery Bits USDA certified chlorella tablets are bits of food that strengthen your immune system, protect you from colds or viruses, remove toxins, speed recovery from a sports injury, and add vegetables and greens to your diet. This will help ensure that you're getting your greens on a daily basis. The recovery bits also help you enjoy better sleep when you take them before bed. I've noticed a big improvement in my sleep. I'm sleeping much more soundly, not waking up at night. And when I do wake up in the morning, I have so much energy and just feel really well rested. So if you're ready to supercharge your energy, health, and longevity, head on over to energybits.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-B-I-T-S.com. Use the discount code LIVINGWELL for 20% off your entire order. And it's an honor to be able to have some ripple effect on what I think is an epidemic, particularly in this country around working. Yeah, and I don't see it going away. Like I really... Mm -hmm. You know, during the pandemic, it seemed like people were taking a step back. They were realizing they could work from home. They could be efficient. They could get their stuff done and maybe have more balance. And now it's like all the big companies, they want their employees back in the office. It's like, sorry, you need to be here. We know you can work from home, but we want you in in the office. And I, I would have expected there to be more of like a hybrid model. And I'm sure there is for some some companies, but I'm surprised at how many companies are mandated. Everybody needs to be back all the time. Yeah. And for a while, you're. it's, it's like heartbreaking. Like literally, I feel like sad when you say that because the companies that um, choose to deeply understand what worked and didn't work, you know, and again, it's about the job as well. It's in context, right? It isn't just like, because it's good for human beings to have freedom and choice and flexibility. Um, of course, that's lovely and very true, but it's also in context of where you're working and the role you're playing. And right. the organizations that really look at that relationship between what people desire and what is fruitful to the work they are doing will keep the best talent. People will not leave you. But mm-hmm. if you just assume and again, fall back into, which is really about lack of trust. Um, a lot of times about lack of trust. Can I trust that you're really working? Um, and can I trust that you're, um, meeting your commitments, right? We weren't good enough at that going into the pandemic. Um, 
where that, that became easy to navigate. And so I feel like that, that pull back to yank you back into that old way of working is still rooted in those, that lack of capability and capacity to really understand what's needed versus what's comfortable for you um, as a boss or as an organization. And so those that are going to get this right are going to win and they're going to shape the future way of working um, for the generations to come. So I see you and I applaud you and it's really worth for anyone in a position of influence in your organization around that, that recipe or that formula. Um, You're doing big work for a lot of people. Um, And I, and it's worth, it's worth the work to do it. Yeah. And I'm just curious if in your work, you know, in your consulting work, like what have you seen as sort of the underlying root cause for these sort of like action junkies, if you will, you know, and is there other work that you need to do to really, you know, be in choice and get to the point that maybe you you're at, um, cause you know, there's like this positive drive, like, it's great that these kids graduate from college and want this, you know, that they're motivated, right? Like, it's like, as a parent, you don't necessarily want the opposite. So it's like this, how do you take this positive, you know, seemingly positive drive and energy and not have it get to the point where you're this action junkie and your life is being controlled by others and organizations outside of you. You know, there are, um, I I name uh, five different kinds of doers. Yeah. Um, I feel like I can relate to many of them. I know. Right. I know. I mean, the achieving doer, the controlling doer, the perfecting doer, the supporting doer, doer, the avoiding doer. Um, And, you know, those I would say are a starting point for you, like what kicks up your addiction to doing. So for me, for a good part of my life, it was the avoiding doer. I didn't want to be in the stillness. You know, I didn't want to be sitting quiet. I had a lot of unresolved trauma in my life that I had compartmentalized like the best of them. And because I was per se, like functioning so well, and I had healthy relationships and I loved what I did, right. I thought that that trauma didn't affect me until I finally learned how to get still. And that trauma came front and center. And I realized, oh my gosh, a lot of the busy for me was about avoiding also some achieving, right? I, I'm, and I would say I'm not over, well, some would say I'm overly ambitious. I guess it's relative, but you know, I have goals. I have impacts I want to make on the world. And so those were sort of humming all the time in the background for others. It could be supporting doer. Your identity is like doing for others and being known as the one who will always be there. And you get, you know, people pleasing and get into this sort of, you know, vicious cycle of like, I can't let people down. Um, even though my own needs aren't being met, even though I'm letting myself down. Um, and then the two around control and perfection, they're killers. I mean, and that is also a, a, also a well-anchored personality trait. Um, and it serves almost no one, um, to be overly controlling and overly perfecting is, is like a, a disease to me. It is, it's a disease and it saps joy quicker than almost anything. Um, for yourself, if you're willing to look at it, but certainly when that energy gets absorbed into other people, um, kicks up all sorts of stuff that just is not fun. (laughs) It's not fun. And there are so many people walking around as perfectionists. And what was the other one you said? Um, controlling, controlling, I just blame. I feel like there are more people walking around that are perfectionists and controlling than not. Maybe that's just it in my world, like but like, that's an ampli- it's an amplified energy for sure. Yeah. You know, all all like, the other energies sort of fall to the background. And I feel like 
people hit a certain age and then they're like, okay, I can't do this anymore. It's time to undo all of this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's torture. I mean, I've never met a perfectionist that wasn't suffering. I've never, and I don't like to say control freak. That's a label, but an overly controlling person who wasn't suffering. So like when I meet a perfectionist, and by the way, what they dish out to others is nothing in comparison to what they dish out to themselves internally, their internal state, their internal inner critic is so loud, so dominating and almost, it does feel like I don't have a choice. So I also see you, um, I have been part of you at certain times in my life. And if I could make my wish for you, just to be, to free yourself from that energy state and find another energy state that serves you. Um, and and it's funny that you're saying that because we literally just spoke to this person earlier, Oliver Nino, who's talking all about energy and energy healing. And it's, it's like coming full circle. <laughs> so, oh, well, there are no accidents when it comes to that, yes. to our consciousness. Yeah. The universe starts to plant a seed. And then if you're willing and open, plants it again and it plants it again and know that that's the time it wants your attention. Yeah. Right. And I'll say, I'll speak for me, but I think this is probably true of Stephanie as well. Like just a practice of yoga and diving deep into yoga over many, many years Mm -hmm. has helped me so much learn how to like live in the present and not overdo and not over perfect and over control and all the things that maybe my natural state wants to do, but I've learned how to not do. (laughs) Yeah. And and for you, what does yoga ask of you that it allows? I love that for your listeners. Like what does that, because I'll call that a practice, right? Yeah. What are the practices that you can incorporate into your life to help you break that addiction, to be more still? Honestly, I think breathing is a huge one. I don't think I, I breathed for a long time. Like, I mean, obviously I did, but like, I really had to, I really learned how to breathe in yoga in a way that I never knew how. And I also think for some reason, when I start moving my body, I just, I get into the present and it's like, Mm -hmm. I, my mind doesn't wander, but it took a long time. And I can now get into that state if I'm on a walk or a hike or pretty much anything outside. But I do think that that has changed my life dramatically. And I do think yoga was a huge part of it. For me, the only thing yoga asks of me is to be present Mm -hmm. with any of it, the good, the bad, the really ugly, whether it's in a pose or in an emotional state. So when I came back from Europe and I left, I was doing yoga like three, four days a week as well. Unfortunately, I tore my shoulder. And so a lot of the yoga I was doing, I wasn't able to do, but I love what you said. I had learned that how to activate that muscle of stillness and presence through yoga that now I can just in breath. Um, I just came back from a six day retreat in Costa Rica with 16 beautiful women who's were all left lives forever changed. And breath was the practice we did every afternoon learning how to breathe. It's the the most accessible way that you can come back into your body and into presence. It's just, just even one in a minute is about four to five deep breaths will completely reset your nervous system. Tons of science around that anyway. And it works. Not, not my, I mean, not my wisdom, but yeah, it, <laughs> it really works. works. <laughs> it does. And I'd love for you to talk about the Soulful Living Retreat, which ironically, literally when we recorded this, recording this, you just got back, I believe two days ago. (laughs) So, so well-timed. 
Um, it looks absolutely amazing. I was on the website and let's dive in and talk about this immersive yeah. experience that you cre- we created and really who it's designed for and what you could expect from this five-day experience. Yeah. Thank you for asking. It was amazing. And to be honest, it's, you know, when I'm in that work and in that, that journey for other human beings, it's the most honoring work that I get to do. Um, so the soulful living retreat, um, is our, the second retreat that I've created. My first retreats are around mother daughter work. And one of the, in my own stillness, one of the greatest traumas that I had compartmentalized was around my relationship with my mother. Um, and I can say more about that later, another time, but, um, so doing that work for myself and creating space. And by the way, like any of you that are listening that are spiritual, it came to me as a calling, um, that I could participate in the healing um, between mothers and daughters. And by the way, like drop me to my knees because I, first and foremost, I had to heal myself. Um, and so I, I would also say I'm, I'm constantly still in that journey as well. And my mom is still alive, but she's quite ill. So, um, I am loving her out of pure love and not obligation. And that freed me up then to work more with just women more broadly and around, how do you really want to live your one precious life? How do you want to live your one precious life? And how can you be soulful in the way that you give and receive love? How can you have a, a full soul or have your soul full around the roles that you play, which we can't play any role in our life without looking at the relationships that um, cross over into those roles. So my role as a mother and my relationship with my own children, um, my role as a partner, obviously with my husband of 21 years. And so we look at that. We look at how can you have soulful intentions? Like that's how we start the week. How can you come into contact with what you truly desire and giving yourself permission to really want those things and to feel that you're worthy of those things? How can you be soulful in your body? And we do that with a blue clay waterfall experience where we go down to the sacred waterfall that is totally sourced from something greater um, than than us. And um, we cover each other in blue clay. Um, We actually, most women went topless and we just relished in our bodies all shapes and sizes. We had age from 33 to 66, uh, which I also think is interesting with the energy around 369. Um, and the, for the older women to see the younger women just in their bodies, no matter what shape, like these older women were just sobbing, seeing how free that these women could live in their own bodies and how unfree they had lived for such a long time in their life. Uh, and then we also looked at, um, we did a beach labyrinth and um, we allowed ourselves to just make a have a question of the universe, a big question that we wanted to sit with and just use that 25 minutes it took us to walk through to just receive what the universe wants for us. So it was spiritual, it was soulful. And this group of women, I, I, I just like looked right before I got and there's like 67 texts in the chat just from this morning. <laughs> you know, they're just the vibration that they created and um the relationships, like how much safety they created in such a short amount of time for one another was something that most of them had not experienced. And I said, you have that capacity as women, as healers, as the sacred feminine to do that in all aspects of your life. But you first have to get clean in your own soul and in your own intentions in order to offer that to the world. So these women are going to do great things. What they claimed on the last night was so incredibly powerful um, we are definitely going to have reunions. They're like ready for soulful part two. So, um, so did the women, awesome. did they know each other going into this or was it a group of people that did not know each other? 
Yeah. Three, two sets of three women came as friends. Um, so wow, did those bonds just, they stayed together in a dome in the middle of the jungle. I mean, we, we had tarantulas visit us at dinner. We had um, snakes oh cross boy. our paths. That would freak me out. <laughs> wow. I, I will be honest. The jungle became a really good, really just astounding teacher. Uh-huh. We had two women that were the first day they arrived after night one were stricken, stricken with fear. Um, and they came through it in such a fierce way. Well, they let their fear still be there, but they came into choice around, if you don't get to choose what you're doing, how do you want to choose and showing up? You know, there's that second layer of choice. Um, so the three women knew each other. Um, one of my good friends came, my sister-in-law was there. She brought two friends. So I knew a few, like three of them. Um, and then the rest were all strangers. One came from Miami, one came from Portugal, one came from London. Um, oh, and then the rest were from the U S yeah. Maryland, Delaware, um, New Jersey, uh, uh, Miami. So it was incredible. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm and is this really an annual thing that you do? <laughs> is this annual? Um, we've done it twice. So yes, I guess okay. now it is annual. Yeah. And it's at the MLO Institute in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Um, so those women who are listening, it's a high end luxury retreat. Yeah. Um, um, you know, and I, I think it's also just one of the most spiritually sourced lands I've ever been on. And if you read the story about them, um, we could put this in the show notes. Um, they have also have lots of other offerings there, but, um, I've looked it up before that Institute. I think yeah. Costa Rica is such a special place. I've been there twice now. And both times I like, I feel some pull to that country and I can't really explain it, but I just mm-hmm. know like every time I'm there, I'm like, I have to come back. Like I have yeah. to come back. The yeah. people are so kind. Mm-hmm. The masculine feminine is so well balanced in that country and its people. And the land is such a teacher. I mean, the jungle is such a teacher, um, nature. So I hear you. Yeah. Well, I, I do think it's really important when like, you know, there's lots of retreats out there, but the fact that you said this land is sacred and it's a teacher and there's this balance of the masculine and femininity, I think that's really important to find, you yeah. know, when you're picking a location or a retreat out there. Um, My other retreats are in Sonoma wine country at West Ooh, Rebecca Ranch. Oh. Yeah. I do a three-day mother-daughter in November. I'm doing a modified version of the Soulful Living Retreat in Costa Rica. Uh-huh. Um, for the first time, we're doing a three-day. In um, Costa Rica oh, for only three days? In Sonoma. No, in Sonoma. Oh, Sonoma. oh. Sonoma. and it's Sonoma for mothers and daughters? Um, the Soulful Living is for women. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, and uh, daughters uh, age 16 and up. So yes, um, daughters, oh. sisters, mothers, friends. But it is an abbreviated version to make it more accessible huh. to other women. Oh. Um, and that's in November. And Westerback is um, family-owned, female-owned. And it also is super sacred in energy, native energy. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. And the uh, mission of that center is also very aligned with the work um, that, that I do. And so, yes, choosing the right place for the work that you want to do for any retreat people out there or coaches who want to create an experience is, is, is the magic. It is the other half of, of the magic that you'll create. And is that yeah. registration open? We'll put this all in the show notes for people. Yeah, it's November okay. um, 8th through the 10th. I think that's the weekend. Okay. Um, and yes, it's about it's about uh, half full. I think I have about uh, 10 more spots left. Okay. Well, my best friend from college and I have been talking about wanting to do something this fall. Oh. So I'm going to look into it. Yes. And the wine country in California in the fall is 
Amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm excited. I'd love to, I would love to have you. Okay. So Renee, I know we need to start to wrap up this conversation. I'm wondering if you can leave our listeners with like a tip or a suggestion or something that they could implement today with regards to undoing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, breath coming back into contact with intentional breathing, um, but just creating enough space between the, the opportunity in front of you and your connection to the yes or the no, just like creating enough distance to be in choice. Again, it could be just a breath, a breath creates space, right? Some sort of space between it. Um, And then maybe a second tip in the undoing is just, does your doing life have you or do you have it? And if it has you, you know, it's become habitual way of showing up and being in the world, just spend some time getting underneath that and find your why and see if that's a worthy reason to reshift and you know the, the overall balance of your day-to-day life and how it can serve you and get it close because you we all have a unique purpose on this in this life and if it can get you back into closer contact with that purpose in a more consistent way you're on you're on your way you're on your way wow. to the undoing I think that's such amazing advice. And I think everyone should pull out their journals and write those <laughs> questions down and really take time to think about the answers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And just let what will come will come. This is not another reason to beat yourself up or to have no, regrets. Not at right? all. It's like yes. life is a teacher and those lessons arrive. And that's the other is like when a lesson arrives, do you have space and time to to hear it, to be with mm-hmm. it? And that could be losing someone becomes a lesson. A failure becomes a lesson. I would say never waste a good trigger. A trigger is a lesson, right? You're triggered. Yeah. Usually those triggers have nothing to do with the person in front of you. It's all about yes. what's behind you. So yeah, yes. those are Absolutely. all great practices. Yeah. So many good nuggets that you've shared. Um, so Renee, where can people find you and, you know, find out more information about your retreat and your upcoming book and the work that you do and all that? Yeah. So um, my main website is ReneeDeneen.com. Um, my retreat website is ModernGoddesses.net. ModernGoddesses.net. I like that. Yeah. Um, and that'll connect you to the MLO Institute. We haven't booked our next one, but we will. Um, we just wanted to sort of digest this one and then see kind of timing wise in our overall lives when that next one feels like it best fits. Um, my book is uh, the working title is 52 other choices for living a soulful life. And so I'm going to tackle things like perfectionism, control, um, people pleasing, um, career, life, marriage, right. And what are your other choices around how to, how to, uh, be more, have your, your soul filled up more, um, in those everyday choices. So, um, but it's just beginning. I have the shape of it. You know, I have my 10 chapters, I have my 52 choices. And so I'm just going to be diving now into the writing after my son leaves for college this fall, um, that creates some different space in my life. And so I'm going to take advantage of it. Yeah. Well, thank you. And we'll link up all of that information in the show notes. So Renee, as we wrap up this conversation, one thing we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Mm. Wow. The art of living well for me means knowing who I am, knowing what I desire, um, honoring my unique purpose in this world, and being able to be in choice around my life and my decisions and my yeses and my noes enough to really connect who I am with what I do and um, know that the message that I'm sending to the world about who I am um, is most vividly known by what I do or don't do. And that that becomes a practice 
um, that I am fully embody and that I offer to other people who I touch in my day-to-day life. And so um, it's unique to me um, and absolutely certainly being healthy in my body and my health and well-being is number one. Um, and when that goes awry, that is where I have to come back to. Um, nothing else matters if I'm not well. Um, and so staying with that and honoring that and prioritizing that is also part of living my life well. Absolutely beautiful. That just kind of summed up and encapsulated our entire conversation so eloquently. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, well, well. future working mamas and women of calling. um, What a pleasure (laughs) to meet you. And um, thank you, Jen Gilhoy, who's out there um, Mm -hmm. putting her message into the world that is so closely linked with her own journey. Mm -hmm. And um, just what a pleasure to be in a conversation with you who are really finding stories of women and men who are up for that and who are honoring that. So thank you. It really has been a pleasure. It was wonderful to meet you and yeah. have a great day. Have a great day. Hopefully our lives connect. Send off, send off yeah. with your son. Yeah. Thank you. You as well. You as well. Well All done, right. mom. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.